Well, welcome back, everybody. This is the first edition, uh, first new edition of No Smoke Without Fire. Uh, for those of you that have been with the column for some time, you will remember that we, Debbie and I, put out a whole series of No Smoke Without Fire discussions. Um, those were played out on YouTube. But of course, eventually when we were, the UK column was naughty and we started to talk about the realities of, of COVID and vaccinations, we got banned from YouTube. So Debbie and I decided we would get back into the swing of No Smoke Without Fire. So it's Debbie and myself bringing, um, I think I'm allowed to say over 100 years of experience between us to the problem. And uh, we are just going to be having a very chatty discussion in, in this series, very relaxed. And uh, we are going to cover all sorts of topics in due course. But the first one we thought we'd get started with again today is on the subject to prevent. And I'm going to say, Debbie, you have really dug into this. Um, just tell, tell the viewers, tell our audience who are with us, uh, today, what caught your attention and, and made you start to delve in to prevent? Well, yes, thank you, Brian, and good afternoon. And it's great to be back uh, for No Smoke, um, uh, one of our relaxed discussions where we look at topics that maybe are right in front of our eyes, but we're not just seeing them. And I've got this rule um, that if I hear a word or something that is drawn to my attention twice in one day, then it's a red alert for me and I go and dig deeper. And in one day, I heard the word prevent twice. And one of the things that really brought it to my attention was I was really delighted to get an email from a youngster aged 18 who had been expelled from college because they were, they were a Christian and they held what the college believed to be extreme views on the transgender issue. As a result of this student speaking out, um, all of a sudden they were visited by a prevent officer at the college and the prevent officer interrogated them on their views. Uh, the student said, I'm... I'm a Christian, the, these are my values, these are my beliefs. However, as a result, uh, this 18-year-old got kicked out of college um, and that was it, end of education, basically, because of PREVENT. And there's an ongoing investigation still now. And I thought to myself, hang on a minute, let's look at PREVENT. And you know what? The first place I ever go to look for, for research, is the UK column. So I always go back to the column website, put in the search bar, um, the word I'm looking for, and there you go. And as, as with everything that I look at, prevents you, I found out that you had covered it, Brian, actually, into 2015, um, a really good article, which I'll let you go into because you wrote it and you were obviously on the button back in 2015. I had to remember, I had to drag my mind back to 2015, but you're absolutely right. This is the article I wrote at the time. It was very short. 
um, Britain, the Stasi state. And the little inset image, if anybody's just listening into this, is prevent duty guidance for England and Wales. And that was uh, a document from HM government. And if we just give you uh, part of the text, just to uh, highlight it a bit, um, the, the opening here was quite important because it says... Uh, this is to do with the school in Cornwall, where basically a parent got caught up in the prevent strategy. But we put in the article, the agenda was David Cameron's prevent policy. The prevent duty departmental advice for schools and childcare providers, and we're going to be coming back onto that subject. Uh, the government had to say in their own words that prevent is the statutory guidance which makes clear that schools and childcare providers are expected to assess the risk of children being drawn into terrorism including support for extremist ideas that are part of terrorist ideology. So a parent in Cornwall contacted me to say that they were stunned to see that there was this anti-terrorism training uh, coming up in, in the uh, school in Cornwall. And we dug deeper and then we started to look into exactly what this uh, uh, prevent strategy was about. Second part of the uh, text, the key bit is, we'll just highlight this, alongside the prevent spying and reporting system, that's my words, of course, the government, Conservative government has set up channel duty guidance. It channels people into a multi-agency monitoring and detainment system, a system which closely uh, mirrors MAPA, a multi-agency public protection arrangements. Stay with us on this because there's lots of acronyms, but they're all very important. And then uh, I went on to say that Channel and MAPA share secret committees meeting behind closed doors to assess, judge and convict individuals of crimes for which there are no clearly defined definitions. Indeed, their definition emer emerging trends is a catch-all phrase which simply identifies those whom the state wishes to oppress as domestic extremists. And I then added the little statement, a Stasi state on steroids. Now, what I discovered today as I was working uh, to put some of the information forward for the, uh, sorry, put some of the information together for Debbie and uh, my um, efforts today, I came across this from 2015 from Amnesty in International. Uh, it's got a picture of the old Stasi uh, building in East Germany. This is the headquarters of the Stasi, the secret police. And their, their headline was Lessons from the Stasi, a cautionary tale on mass surveillance. And uh, if I just add a, another quote that was in the article, um, it says, while the Stasi archive is overwhelming, today's spies can gather far more information with a fraction of the effort. And I'll just point out that this article, and Amnesty International acknowledges it, this article was originally published in the European, but I couldn't get the link to work to go back to that. And um, before we tell you a bit more about Prevent itself, uh, I don't normally advertise, but on this occasion, I'm going to pop up this book on screen because um, it was actually Alex Thompson gave me a copy of this. The book is called Stasi Land by a lady called Anna Funder, and uh, it's called Stories from Behind the Berlin Wall. It's quite cheap to buy. I've chosen the Amazon advert, but if you don't, if you've never read anything about um, the Stasi system, 
I think you should because it hasn't gone away, it's just changed its form. So, uh, Debbie, a little introduction from me, but um, you, of course, have been beavering away and you found a film clip which we've chopped up into three sections so we can comment on it. Um, should we have a look at the first section and then I'll bring you back on screen and you can uh, tell us more. So here's the first kit, uh, clip, uh, which is the government telling us about the prevent system. A van mounted the pavement on London Bridge, hitting several pedestrians. National action is a vile group and they have no place in this country. Hundreds came out into central Manchester today to remember lives lost. It was in the early hours of Monday morning that a van tore through a crowd outside a mosque in Finsbury Park. was such a shock obviously when it happened because even now when people talk about Rashid um, whether friends or associates they always say that he was the last person they would have ever thought would have ever gone down that kind of path because he was such a bubbly young lad and um, full of energy not a care in the world he just was he just was very happy I think that also made him a bit maybe vulnerable at the heart of um, PREVENT is, is safeguarding because um, it can make all the difference between life and death. If I had reached out to PREVENT or the local authority um, about concerns about my son when he was being radicalised, um, I could have had the right intervention at the right time and it would have made all the difference between him being with me today and being alive. Well, there we are, um, Debbie. You you sent this uh, this clip and a couple more that we've got through to me, and I was just fascinated because um, it's talking about extremism and radicalisation. But then, as the clip goes on, it's talking about safeguarding. It's talking about protecting children from gangs and drugs and sexual abuse. So it starts off with sort of terrorist-related. Uh, talk, and then it morphs through into trust us. This is all about safeguarding young people. This is very, very devious. Um, the policy for for prevent is it terrorism or is it something else? Well, it's very dark. That's what it is. And I mean, you know, when you look at that piece of video, you think to yourself, well, what was the story? What was the backstory behind it? And radicalization, extremism and terrorism. What is that in 2023? And by, I don't know, I look at it as spying. We're going to be spying on our children. We're going to be asking them questions. We're going to be listening to them. What if they say something that is challenging a narrative? Does that get classified as radicalization on whatever issue? This is where safeguarding where do we look at draw the line between safeguarding and spying? Safeguarding 
and rumour mongering because that's what we're looking at. It seems to have spread. This prevent duty guidance, it was originally started in 2003 under the Blair government, believe it or not. But then Cameron, here we go with David Cameron's name again, he kicked it up a gear in 2015 when they made it um, statutory guidance and they made it law. And it was all about stopping young people early. That was the pilot. Um, and in fact, the pilot was done on young offenders first, ones that were on probation that had been um, obviously arrested or um, imprisoned for terrorist-related incidents. So that was the pilot. But today, what I'm seeing is that it's spreading throughout all of our educational institutions from preschool to primary school, secondary school, colleges, universities, campus. You know, it's and, and that's just the beginning of it. But it was originally started to prevent young people from being radicalized. But they were very quick to say that there's no limit on any age. And they wanted to make prevent a strategy that, that didn't target any one group. So if we were looking at maybe um, religious fundamentalists, um, terrorism from abroad, they didn't want it to target that. They wanted to look at homegrown, what they call homegrown terrorism. And they, they say, we're not spying on you. Well, I beg to differ. They say that um, there's no chance of it showing up on your criminal record or on a criminal record, but I'm sure it's going to show up on some record. So this prevent guidance now that started originally, as you saw in 2015, when you had that letter from a, a school in Cornwall, of all places, this is spread now. And, and, and I know that we'll talk about where it's spread into, because every section of society, even, you know, even your family, your friends, pillow talk is affected by prevent um, by the prevent strategy. And don't forget that the prevent strategy is also, I mean, it's it's part, just part of the government strategy called um, the, the counter-terrorism strategy, which we'll come on to in a bit, called contest. So this is wheels within wheels within wheels. Yeah, but let's so, look at prevent a little bit more. Yeah, let's have a look at the second clip and uh, see what that this is the second part of this little video which we've put into clips prevent is really an umbrella term for a multiplicity of different types of interventions that are going on some are ideologically um, informed that where they sit down with an individual at risk and walk through the ideology and try to get them to disrupt that pattern of thinking others are more focused upon working with the parents of people that are in communities where it might be a radicalization problem to try and sort of help impact upon what that what their kids are looking at online and the idea with prevent is to try and impact upon these stressors and risk factors with the idea that the risk of radicalization will dampen if these things are, are treated Prevent works at a grassroots level. It works within the heart of the community. Prevent does help people day in, day out, and we're the proof of that. And we've helped so many families get back on track. We've had so many families and young people who are vulnerable, 
and we've got them into a position where we've safeguarded them. So that's how Prevent works. It, it basically provides a safeguarding measures and puts protective factors in place to safeguard individuals from being radicalised and groomed. When people say to you know, why are you working with Prevent? We say to them, well, try and come and say that to one of the parents that we've helped, a young kid, through Channel, through our community project, with drug and alcohol addiction, with radicalization, and that parent doesn't care where, which program helps their son or daughter, they just want help for their family. Well, there we are, Debbie. Of course, um, it's got the lovely soothing music, and I've got to say that gentleman, very well spoken, he's very relaxing to listen to. He's, in my opinion, he comes across with a nice trustworthy image. And of course, this he is saying is all about safeguarding. But some interesting statistics in that little clip, they were talking about a 43% increase in referrals. And they were talking about 142,000, 142,000 participants who've come into contact with presumably the present, prevent um, program itself. So it's sort of about stopping radicalization, but it's also safeguarding, but it's a massive program that's operating under the surface. Yeah, it's huge. And, you know, as you say, safeguarding, here we go back to safeguarding again. But I can tell you that um, the referrals for Prevent 2021 to 2022, this is how they stacked up. 33% of those referrals were deemed vulnerable, but at no risk. So that was the highest percentage. 33% were vulnerable, but at no risk. 20% were said to come from the extreme right. 16% came from Islamic uh, radicalization, 2% from school massacres, and 1% was incel related. Now, I had to look up what incel was, and incel apparently is a male online community, uh, men against women basically. So, 1% of the referrals were made up of incel, um, but the new threat seems to be right wing. That's what they're looking at. And, and clearly you can see that the majority of the referrals that were made, there was no risk at all. So there's a, a lot of work going into this prevent, but uh, the statistics don't stack up and they're extremely concerning because we're not looking at what perhaps our audience might regard as terrorism. You know, we've all been, we think of terrorism as maybe overseas intervention. We don't look at it perhaps as domestic terrorism, but clearly that's where the government are looking. And it's almost as though they're setting us up to fail. They're everywhere. You can't say, you're not going to be able to say anything or do anything that is deemed controversial or challenging the narrative um, without some form of inquisition or a visit. You know, how many of us are going to get a knock on the door from a, uh, from a prevent officer? Interesting question. Okay, let's do clip three, and then we'll have covered the video as a whole.
I go to the school and uh, uh, they also involve prevent team who help them to get them better. So they also uh, call some imam and they give some activities to my son and they took them to the uh, visit some place and they are very happy to do those activities and they, they got a big change. I'm very hopeful for the future because we are uh, progressing day by day. I think they save my son's life. Well, there, there we are. So we got that mix again. The mix is all the way through the video. It's terrorism. It's stopping radicalization. But how are they doing it? Well, then they start calling it safeguarding. And I, a little thing that I found very interesting in that clip, Debbie, um, was when the lady's speaking, she says, and they contacted some imam. She says some imam, which is quite a sort of dismissive Thing. She doesn't know really who, who that imam was and what their background was. But I noticed that in the text, in the subtitles, it's contacted an imam. So I'm just stressing this point because to me, I thought, yeah, this lady's not too sure how this system worked herself. They contacted some imam, uh, but underneath we're made, we're given the text that everything is okay. And this is all about safeguarding young people. Yeah, it's not just imams that are being contacted, it would appear. It's prison chaplains as well. Prison chaplains are very heavily involved in the prevent uh, strategy. So we've got all faiths, um, all professionals. Well, not even some people don't even need to be a professional to get prevent training. But clearly, faith plays a very big part in this. It's going to be over to you, really, Debbie, because we're now into the segment of uh, information that you put together. And we're going to have to warn the audience. I'm afraid we're going to start off with The Guardian and a picture of uh, David Cameron. Um, but this is the four pillars of strategy. Yeah, this is where it all started, really. One nation, one United Kingdom. I remember what Mike Robinson always says. If you've got the word one in front of something, you need to be a bit concerned. Clearly, David Cameron here in 215 was starting the one nation, one United Kingdom, one world, one app agenda. And what's interesting about David Cameron in 215 was this is when he kicked it up a gear. So he said that um, this, this prevent strategy was going to be one of the four pillars. And if we look um, at the next article, which I brought up, which actually critiqued David Cameron by saying David Cameron's defense of the prevent program is shockingly misplaced. Um, and I've just highlighted a bit in red there for people to read, but talking about the prevent the number of prevent uh, referrals and the traumatic consequences this has on children, and that there's mounting evidence that controversial counterterrorism strategy d discriminates and disproportionately targets British Muslims, specifically children and young people. So again, we've got 
the children and young people, which actually takes me straight to Ian Davis's article, which he wrote on the UK column in um, 2021, the online uh, radicalization myth where he was talking about the prevent program so if you you know if you want some more information immediately go to that article it's a really really excellent article but something that you said to, in the news a few weeks ago Brian and it it kind of rung bells in my head and uh, it was when you were going down to the protests in London and you were on the train and uh, I've, I think I've become used to it because maybe I've been on the train a bit more recently. But the see it, say it sorted, which is that message that drives you mad on the train, the see it, say it sorted campaign was part of the whole normalization, I guess, of getting people to what I would call snitch on each other. And this isn't just, you know, looking at if somebody's left a bag somewhere or a parcel that, you know, you're not quite sure what it is. So you, you report it. This is reporting people for unusual behavior, secretive. I mean, we'll come on to the signs in a minute, but let's remind ourselves of well, see it, <laughs> say it, sorted. Yeah, I'm going to say having sat on a train for three and a half hours, um, up to London with this message coming up, it drilled into our heads. And the clip we're about to hear, I played uh, about an hour ago, uh, just to see what Mike's reaction was. And of course, he looked at me with horror as the message came across. So here we are for our audience. This is how they can drill into your brain. If you see something that doesn't look right, Speak to staff or text British Transport Police on 61016. We'll sort it. See it, say it. Oh dear, we missed the sorted. I don't know why that is, but uh, how strange. It should say, see it, sorry, see it, say it, sorted. Um, and uh, that's playing. I think it was effectively after every stop that the train made that was drilled into passengers. Uh, we're all supposed to be looking around the whole time at anything suspicious. They don't define what suspicious is, anything suspicious, and then we're going to report it. Um, okay, so of course the government is, is right behind this, uh, Debbie, so take us into fact sheets, prevent and channel. Yeah, well, there's only one place to go when you want it from the horse's mouth, I guess, and that's gov.uk. So that's where I went to the home office in the media to find the fact sheet of Prevent and Channel, Channel 2021. Now, Channel is something that if someone's referred to Prevent and they think there's an issue or there's something needs further investigating, then they get referred on to channel. So if we just look at the next slide, you're going to see who's involved in this program and what kind of professionals we could expect to be involved in prevent. So you can see there teachers, healthcare practitioners, social workers, the police, charities, civil society, psychologists, community leaders, and others. And it's all delivered by local authority teams, local policing teams, community organisations and charities that apparently have the best expertise in the area. And you can see there that it's, they say, you know, it's not at all for spying. Um, it's not limited to an age. It won't show up on any criminal record checks, um, but it has to be implemented in line with the requirements that are set out in the equality duty. It's saying it'll not show up on any, any criminal record checks. Okay. 
But actually, the whole system works on people making reports, um, many of which will, will be um, put into writing within the various organizations. It might be the local authority, or it could be the local NHS medical record, or it could be, it could be MAPA. And, and they are encouraged to put down information, which is essentially hearsay. Somebody says that the gentleman at number six in um, Borringdon Road is a bit weird and has been seen with some other foreign-looking individuals. This, this information absolutely goes into record. So they're not being truthful here in describing how the system itself works. No, of course not. Absolutely. Of, of course not. Everything's recorded everywhere. So once you have had a prevent referral, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be logged. But what is a prevent referral? And when I went to look at what a prevent referral was, it's quite concerning, really, because it says that anyone, anyone who is concerned about someone being at risk of radicalization or drawn into terrorism. Now, they even say here, this could be a family member. We'll come on to family members in a minute, but this could be a family member, friend, colleague, or professional. And it says prevent referrals are not made to the home office. They're handled by expert officers in the local police force. Um, if you're found to represent a security threat, then you'll be referred to the police for further information. So once you've decided you're going to make a referral, how do you actually go about doing it? So you have to contact your local, this is where the word safeguarding comes up again, because making a referral, um, you can contact your local authority safeguarding team or speak to a teacher, healthcare provider or another trusted, I'm not sure about the word trusted, authority. And you can see there that it says at the bottom, act early, the Counter-Terrorism Policing Safeguarding, act early, educate against hate. Well, we'll come on to act early. I've got a few slides on Act Early, which we'll come to later, because that in itself, everybody needs to know about. But let's go back to Channel, because Channel is the is, is a, another referral process um, of people that are seen to be at genuine risk. So they'll have the prevent referral, and then, and then if there's somebody that's seen to be um, a real risk, then this will be taken on by the Channel panel. Um, it's a bit of a mouthful, a bit of a tongue twister channel panel. But you can see there, you see, it's it's again chaired by the local authority and can include whoever they want, really, whether they want to bring the police in, children's services, social services, education professionals, mental health care professionals. You can see that they're definitely targeting younger people there. Debbie's highlighted there that the panel's chaired by the local authority. Just think about it, that somebody in the local authority gets some information from somewhere, probably will not be declared to the target person, but an accusation will be made that there's concerns. And before you get the opportunity to un understand that these accusations have been made and you get the opportunity to defend yourself, the person in the local authority, not the police, in the local authority can, be, can start to assemble evidence, and I'm going to put big hashtags around that, uh, in order to start building a case or reinforcing the accusation that you are somehow involved in a radicalization process or possibly even terrorism itself. Um, it's not the police at the lead, it's the local authority. 
It is the local authority. And, you know, it's something as simple maybe as you're out in your garden and you're having a chat with your neighbour over the fence. And maybe you might say something and your neighbour thinks, oh, that's a bit suspicious. I've been told to report to prevent if I hear or see anything suspicious. This person lives next to me. You're not going to know anything about it until you get a knock at the door. And there'll be a prevent officer, maybe somebody from the local authority, maybe somebody from a charity, maybe somebody from somewhere else. You don't know. But this unexpected knock at the door could happen to any one of us at any time. That's the that's the bit I think that we need to get across to people is, you know, your conversations now, your chatter, your chat could be seen or perceived by other people as a risk to national security. Yeah. And, and a web of people all putting information in the pot, which is under the surface. This is, uh, and they're largely unaccountable. Um, but uh, uh, this one, this slide here, talking about a tailored support package will be offered. It yeah, all sounds wonderful. <laughs> oh, ahead. doesn't it just, you know, you're going to get one-to-one -one help and it's all going to be about you and... But actually, it's much more, it's much darker than that. Any tailored package is, is to be looked at and viewed with suspicion. And you can see there that it says channel is voluntary and people who are referred to prevent must give consent, i.e. parent or guardian if they're underage, before they can be given support. If a person does not engage with channel or decides not to continue with the process for any reason, alternative forms of support may be available from the local authority there. You've got the local authority again, or other providers. And those other providers could be a charity, a local community organization. It could be anybody. And then, but managed on top of that by the police. So I went into this a little bit further because I wanted to know a few statistics and a few facts. So the next slide will show you that since the introduction of PREVENT in 2015, 3,037 referrals have been supported through the Channel Programme. 4,915 referrals to PREVENT were made in the year ending on March 31st of March 2021. And there you've got of the referrals 2020 to 2021, you can see the percentages there, 51% were related to mixed, unclear or unstable ideologies. 22% Islamist radicalization and 25% to extreme right-wing radicalization. And on the top right there, the PREVENT addresses all form of terrorism. 46 of, of all the channel cases adopted in 2020 to, 20, to 2021, 46% were related to extreme right-wing radicalization. 317. 30% uh, came under a mixed, unclear or unstable MMU ideology, 205. And 22% were linked to Islamist radicalization. So you can see as well at the bottom there that I've put the partners that will um, be in, completely involved in all of this. And you can see it goes from everywhere. We, we've already mentioned them, but we'll mention them again. So we're talking schools, colleges, universities, health, and we'll come on to the NHS in a minute because obviously the NHS is of particular interest to me. Um, so you've got health, local authorities, police and prisons. Um, and there's prevent coordinators dotted around the country. There's prevent... Um, officers dotted around the country. You don't know who you're speaking to anywhere. Civil society organisations, pretty much every single 
part of society has been affected by prevent. In those categories, Islamic uh, radicalization, extreme right wing, unclear, other radicalization. The one thing that's not featured is anything to do with Semitic or anti-Semitism. And I just want to put that little nugget in or that little seed in for people, because a little bit later, we're going to see that all of a sudden, anti-Semitism has come to the fore in this in this system. And I think this is very, very significant. Well, the next bit was the rehabilitation, because what is rehabilitation? And I was slightly alarmed to see this programme, the Desistance and Disengagement Programme, DDP, works with individuals who have crossed the line into terrorist activity, aiming to reduce the risk they pose to the UK. And again, there you've got your reference, Brian, back in 2015 to MAPA, the Multi-Agency Public Protection Arrangements. Now, I looked into um, this Desistance and Disengagement Programme, DDP, a little bit more, and I can tell you um, that it's <laughs> very detailed. So I've written a few notes. So you have to attend it's mandatory. So if you get um, told that you have to attend the desistance and disengagement program, you have to go. And it's meant to manage the risk of individuals who have already been seen to be in breach of um, their their license, or they've been seen to be having some form of radicalization or being involved in, in terrorism. Now, one in four the rehabilitation, one in four will have specialist supportive interventions. This was initially, like I say, piloted for a probation um, way back. And this was going to be included for people on probation that um, had been involved in, in terrorism. But now it's been, it's been wide and dry out. So if you don't go to this desistance and disengagement or you fail to attend you will be followed up by the police. This is mandatory. You have to um, you have to participate and desist and disengage. So they they try to get you to come away from whatever it is that they don't want you looking at, and then to literally move you away from it completely. But like I say, once you get put on this on this program. If you don't attend, it's going. Like, it's a bit like going to probation. If you're told you have to attend, you must attend. If not, you'll get a police officer knocking on your door. Just going to reinforce the MAPA bit, which was mentioned. If people don't know what MAPA is, you need to do your research on it, the multi-agency public protection arrangement. Now, this is supposed to defend against risks from uh, sexual um, I'm looking at the other screen here, sexual violent offenders. So it's saying we're going to protect the public from people who are deemed to possibly be a sexual or violent or risk of both to members of the public. And what is the arrangement they're talking about? Well, it means that if there's any intelligence, any information that comes up in a particular locality, anywhere across the country, then there is a team of organisations which are going to work together in order to track that person and assess what the risk is. So again, um, let's take a scenario. You are a person who, when you were young, committed a crime. Um, it was a stupid thing to do. Let's say it involved violence. You punch somebody. You're then released back into the community. 
somebody overhears you getting a bit stroppy with somebody, they make a report locally, your name goes into the multi-agency public protection arrangement system, and people, you have no idea who the people are in your community, but they include the local authority, the local mental health team, uh, your local G or your own GP, for example, those people are consulted to see what information uh, they hold on you. And all of this investigation into you as a person will happen under the surface without your knowledge until, as Debbie's already said, you get a knock on the door from a policeman, but it could be the mental health team, and they uh, accuse you or, or tell you that you're accused of, of wrongdoing and you're under suspicion. So the tracking and the assessment of an individual is happening without their knowledge from the start point. It's incredibly sinister, this, this thing, Debbie. The more I look into it, the more I think, wow, this is, this is like the Stasi system, but now you've got the advantage of people being linked instantaneously by, by emails and, and uh, data can be shared instantly. But it's a spying system. Yeah, and that's a very good point, actually, Brian, because... Um... You know, Mike has been talking for a very long time and giving us very good in-depth reports on the online harms bill and online safety bill. And I have to ask, you know, we're talking about conversations that we might have with people here, you know, a conversation with somebody when you're out or a conversation, we'll come to conversations with doctors in a minute. But does this extend to a text, perhaps, or uh, an email or a message or an Instagram or a Facebook post? I mean... This is everywhere. So what are you saying online that could be perceived by somebody that is at you're at risk of, of being radicalized? You know, this is everywhere and it's, it's completely enveloped us. And I, I do understand that this whole prevent guidance is a big subject and there's lots of little rabbit holes that get lost down. So I found a really good comprehensive article from CPD Online College, which if viewers want to go and the audience wants to go and look at it, it's, um, it's really good. Uh, there's a little bit of information there about the author, Sarah Wilkinson, um, and she's done a very good article. If you go to the next screen, because we, really we need to know what we're talking about here. I don't know if you want to read that out, Brian. Um, what, yeah, absolutely. what is so terrorism? Yep, terrorism. The current UK definition of terrorism is from the Terrorism Act 2000, which defines it as an action that endangers or causes serious violence to a person or people or seriously interferes with or disrupts an electronic system. The use or threat must be designed to influence the government or to intimidate the public and is made from the purpose of advancing a political, religious or ideo ideolog sorry, ideology cause. Uh, revised prevent duty. At the time of writing, the most significant terrorist threats to the UK are from terrorist organisations in Syria, in Iraq, as well as Al-Qaeda, Al apologies, associated groups. Recent, recent years have also seen an increase in support for far-right extremist ideologies. Let's see what she wrote about extremism. 
Okay, the government defines extremism as the vocal or active opposition to fundamental British values of democracy, rule of law, tolerance and individual liberty. The definition of extremism also calls for the deaths of a, a member of the armed forces both in the UK and overseas. One report further differentiated between violent and hateful extremism, suggesting that it is the latter that serves to fuel attacks by continuing to communicate such negative ideals. This is defined as being a framework of behaviours, beliefs and harms that are in direct contrast to Britain's commitment to equality and human rights. Extremist beliefs exist across British society and their continued existence requires an urgent and effective response. So we've got extremism, we've got terrorism, but also we've got radicalisation. It says that radicalisation, on the other hand, refers to the process in which a person comes to sympathise with and support terrorist or extremist ideologies. There is no obvious profile of a person who is at risk of radicalisation, and the process itself can be different for each individual and ideology. Although it does not necessarily happen overnight, for some, radicalisation can be a short process whereas for others it can occur gradually over a period of years. For example, the far-right extremist groups promote a narrative of a racist and cultural threat, which may appeal to some. Those who support the far-right convince supporters that they're not amplifying hatred, but instead telling the truth. However, such values are often in direct contra contradiction to the British values of equality, tolerance and democracy, and are often premised on misguided and stereotypical misconceptions, whereas Islamist extremists attempt to create an atmosphere that is conducive to more people supporting their cause, and to do so they may attack principles of participation and cohesion. So there you have the three strands, but um, who's at risk? Does it have to be somebody with a black balaclava on their head, carrying a Kalashnikov, walking down the street at eight o'clock at night? No. The people that are at risk are, and you might find quite surprising. So this is the suggestion that is that someone is at, at risk. So if you behave in a way that is out of character or is secretive, I mean, there might be something else going on in your life that maybe you're a little bit secretive about. However, you don't know how that's going to be perceived by someone else. Being rejected by others, maybe you've had, um, maybe you've split up with your partner, maybe you're upset about a, a, a family breakup, I don't know, but obviously this is now an area of suspicion. Signs of being stressed or depressed. Well, how many of us can say that we haven't been stressed, especially in the last four years? Um, connections with persons linked to extremism, uh, no clue what they're meaning there by extremism, victim witness to race or hate crime, changes in behaviour or appearance in line with ideological influences. Uh, that's very ambiguous, uh, change of behaviour, behaviour again. Possessing literature related to extreme views. So presumably people are going to be inspecting your bookshelf now, are they? And, and making comments on what you're reading and having tattoos of symbols associated with extremist ideologies. Uh, tattoos are, are, are in fashion. A lot of people have tattoos, but does their tattoo 
deem who they are. Debbie, got, got to come in on that one, because, of course, if, if we go to Ukraine, which is fully supported by the West and Britain that's uh, enacting this prevent policy against supposed radicalization, you can look at Ukrainian troops fighting on the ground who've got very, very prominent tattoos, which are clearly pro-national socialist. Uh, some have swastikas, but we are supporting them. But when we look at what may be happening in UK, somebody who in their earlier life was silly enough to get a swastika tattooed on them, that person is now a potential terrorist as far as the state's concerned. The dual standards here are incredible. They, they absolutely are. And the last two there were sharing extremist websites. I'm not sure what you would classify an extremist website to be and showing sympathy for extremist ideologies. And I, I wanted to see where is, you know, how how systemic is this? Where, where can we find all of these prevent officers and prevent strategies and prevent guidance? And honestly, when I said it was everywhere, I really mean it's everywhere. So you've got their nurseries, early years settings, childcare providers. I mean, are we talking about babysitters? Are we talking about childminders? Further and higher education, local authorities, the police, and of course, we've also got health. This is uh, Mr. Munner, uh, who's speaking as the subject of a prevent coordinator. So let's listen to what he says, and then we'll say who he is, really. As Prevent Coordinator, my role is to help the local authority to implement and best deliver the Prevent statutory duty to make sure that um, vulnerable people are safeguarded from um, being drawn into radicalisation or terrorism or supporting uh, terrorism. Unfortunately, in our societies and in our communities, there are elements who would look to polarise. There are elements who are looking to sow disharmony and cause discord. My team and I are able to work daily to safeguard members of our community who are most vulnerable to radicalisation. We're really assessing the vulnerabilities and what's causing these people to be drawn into um, radicalising influences. The mentoring process works by the panel having looked at the vulnerabilities of these individuals, the reasons why they are being drawn into uh, extremist narratives and radicalisation and help deal with these and then based on that we'll have the support package including the mentors and then there will be a monthly panel where these um, individuals cases are discussed and we would like to see at every panel a reduction in vulnerabilities. Our team has worked with a number of individuals and, and helped take them out of paths that were really destruct destructive and, and would not have been positive and thank you put them on a more positive um, route. So yeah, we're really pleased to be able to make an impact and a difference on that day. So there we, there we go. We've got the lovely soothing music in the background, but that um, gentleman identifies himself as a pro prevent coordinator, but there's no more detail. Before we get into that little bit, just consider what he says. The panel meets and we discuss people. Inside your local authority, you've now got a man. Was was he elected? How does the public, how is he accountable to the public? Sitting with a team of other people who will not be declared to the public. 
discussing who they consider is at risk um, by a selection of, of um, selection points that are pretty vague. So who is this man? Well, I think he was actually, or he is the uh, prevent coordinator for Liverpool City Council. I've put some documentation up here. This is from uh, Liverpool City Council. The bulk of it is to do with education. But if you look down at the bottom of the central, uh, the centre document, uh, there is a Muna Ahmed. And I think this is the same, the same man. And then on the right of the screen, you can see there's all sorts of documentation which you can download about policies and guide, uh, um, sorry, policies and guidance documents. But essentially buried in the local authority is a team which is going to be looking at any one of us as a member of the community, but as a potential uh, risk. And if they deem that you're a risk, then they will start the monitoring and tracking process. And you don't know when they will break surface and make contact with you. It may be immediately or perhaps they start to really look into you, your medical records, your mental health records, if you've got any, your GP records, any police records, and then you will get a knock on the door from this team. I've used the word sinister already, Debbie, but the more you follow this through, it is utterly, um, it's nothing like Britain and democracy, uh, or at least the Britain that I've known over a great many years. This is 1984 on steroids. Absolutely. And it's happening right in front of our eyes. It's being rolled out everywhere. But of course, as you know, once I see things starting to roll out in the NHS, and I thought, oh, they, they wouldn't be, surely not in the NHS. But of course, how stupid of me, of course, prevents in the NHS, because health is, is a huge area, and they want to be keeping surveillance on our, our health staff. So I found the NHS England prevents training and competences uh, framework. That's just really to show you where it is. I'm not going to read it all out, because what I wanted to know was, who does this affect, i.e. staff, you know, who is being trained? And when I went to look, it says all NHS staff, healthcare students or volunteers who are in contact with patients, the public, or staff in commissioning, local, a clinical commissioning group or area team and provider organisations. So that's, let's just let that sink in a minute. That's all NHS staff. And then it goes on to say staff requiring level one and staff requ requiring level two. But let's look at the special consideration for priority staff groups. In addition to the above list, which I've just read out, the special consideration to be given to training staff who have regular contact or exposure to individuals or groups with an identified level of vulnerability. So we're looking at prevent leads, ambulance staff. I'm looking in group A now. Nurses, Corton prison-based health staff, offender and forensic community health clinicians and practitioners, health star staff in secure children's settings, frontline ambulance staff, school, college and university nurses and practitioners, pre-registration clinical tutors, medical nursing, PAMS and social work, chaplaincy staff, which we mentioned a minute ago, PALS and complaints staff, PALS is the complaints service for the NHS, 
people providing telephone triage services, people providing services to migrants or asylum seekers. I'm presuming that includes charities. Adult safeguarding, again, the safeguarding word comes up, practitioners and leads and commissioner and provider organisations, children's safeguarding practitioners and leads. And it goes on. But in, in Group B, you can see that you've got practitioners working in adult acute services, children's acute services, adult community services with adults of a working age, practitioners working in children's community services with young people, People working in primary care services, that's your doctor, your GP. People providing patient transport services, that's your paramedics and your hospital uh, car service. Reception staff, HR staff, occupational health staff. People providing advocacy services, commissioners of services working with high-risk groups. Any other clinician and practitioner working in a service with regular, higher vulnerability individuals or groups and advocates and I would also expect um, as my own specialist subject of autism is I would expect that people on the autism spectrum and people that with learning disabilities would also fit that category. Um, is there anything you want to jump in because that was an awful lot of professionals that are being prevent trained. And what are they being prevent trained to do? They're being prevent trained to watch and judge and report on under other individuals against a set of very vague concerns and risks which the government cooks up based on what it thinks uh, is a risk to itself. Uh, but yeah, these are people, largely professional people, who you would go and engage with. You say something out of turn, that training kicks off in their heads, and the next minute your name has been channeled into a pipeline where you're going to be watched and tracked and reported on. It is unbelievable what's going on here, Debbie. And the bulk of people in this country have no idea this is, this is happening. Well, let's just go a step further and see you know, what kind of training do these people, whoever they are, get? Because um, the next slide will tell you that these these people that are meant to be helping on the Prevent programme, uh, they should know how to support and redirect individuals with vulnerability and at risk of being radicalised or drawn into terrorist activities, how to share concerns, get advice and make referrals into the channel process and prevent case management. I've just highlighted a couple of points there. I mean, it's it's all pretty grim when you read it uh, because you've got to understand the interpretation of the term vulnerable, for example, and what vulnerability might look like. However, they say there's no sing single checklist or profile of a terrorist and that health staff are a key group and must use their professional judgment, their professional judgment, let that sink in, in assessing behaviours and risk. So, and, and I've highlighted there, beware of building partnerships, staying safe. But we are now to rely on somebody that's had prevent training, which could be, what, an hour, two hours e-learning, I don't know, filling in a questionnaire. And they're going to use their professional judgments to assess you. What's going to happen is that people are always going to want to play safe. They've been given a course in which they're told, oh, my goodness, there's a threat. There's these terrible people out there. And therefore, you're now going to come on board with the team. If you see anything suspicious, if you see anything you're not comfortable with, then you should report it. These professionals will always 
go to play safe for them and their careers. And therefore, if they get the slightest bit of suspicion for whatever reason, they are going to report that person. See it, say yeah. it, sort it. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. You know, that's what it's about. Yeah. But this goes even further. You know, it's, it's, it's bad enough that it's in the NHS and all our professionals. I mean, really, our nurses, our doctors, and it will throw up loads of questions with confidentiality. You know, what can you say to your doctor um, now if you say something that your doctor deems to be um, suspicious is your doctor now going to break that confidentiality and you're going to end up with a prevent officer at your door? But it doesn't have to be in person because now we've got prevent that um, has actually infiltrated NHS digital. And I'm sure Ben Rubin, when we speak to him about this, will have plenty to say about NHS digital. But if we look further into the NHS prevent training and competences framework, we can see that this is at the heart of NHS England and that healthcare staff will meet and treat, it's a bit like a meet and greet, isn't it? Only it's meet and treat people, <clears throat> excuse me, who may be vulnerable to being drawn into terrorism. And then just to introduce you to the uh, contest, because we'll come on to contests in a minute, but you can see there, prevent is part of the government's counter-terrorism strategy contest. So again, one more slide before we come on to contest, I think, um, or a couple more slides, one more, uh, a bit about the background of preventing radicalization. Healthcare staff, again, will meet and treat, this seems to be a bit of a phrase going on, meet and treat people who may be vulnerable to being drawn into terrorism. And all staff have a responsibility to safeguard vulnerable individuals of all ages that they come into contact with. And I've just highlighted, you know, you see the word prevent dotted around. And again, just reinforcing that prevent is part of the government's counter-terrorism strategy contest. So let's introduce everybody to contest, which is the counter-terrorism strategy. And it was published on the 26th of March, I think it was 2013, but there's been updates. So we've now got the counter-terrorism strategy for 2023. And if we go and look into that, we can see that it's none other than our um, ex-home secretary or our past home secretary, Suella Braverman, who um, who's written the ministerial forward to this. It's the language, the fear, be fearful. The terrorist threat to the UK is unrelenting and evolving. That is saying to the population of this country that any day that you get out of your bed, you are faced with a terrorist threat, which is possibly going to destroy your life or your life, uh, lives of your children or whatever. This is, this is the language of fear. And on top of the fear comes this control through this, this pernicious system. It's quite unbelievable. And I'm going to stress again. No, you've again. got it all wrong, Brian. It's to keep us safe. It's just <laughs> to keep us safe. Okay. All right. You've convinced me not. <laughs> <laughs> so you can see that Suella Braverman, um, wrote the forward there. Contest is now 20 years old and has become a world-leading counter-terrorism capability. I'm profoundly grateful to the men and women who work so tirelessly and bravely to stop these attacks and to bring perpetrators to justice. These are the people who keep us and their families 
safe. Of course, they're not keeping us safe. What they're doing is building a system to oppress us. Uh, the real terrorists, and we've said this before with uh, UK Column, albeit in a cartoon, are the domestic terrorists are the people who are governing us. These are the people we should be very, very frightened of because um, they demonstrate on a daily basis their willingness to prosecute violence and wars overseas, to foment violence and war, wars overseas. But apparently when we deal with them in relation to domestic policies, we should trust them. I mean, it's, it's utterly mad. We should not trust these people. No, absolutely, absolutely not. And it, it goes on and we get more of this language and we've got the P's, all the P's being used now, as you will see in the next slide, where it says uh, this is still part of the uh, contest document. Our global allies and independent experts recognise the core contest framework. And here we go. Prevent, pursue, protect and prepare to be a world leader, counterterrorism program. Here we go again with the world leader. You know, we want to be a global world leader in life sciences, and now we want to be a, a world leading counter-terrorism expert. So what is the threat from terrorism? And if you go further again into the document, and I've done a, another little screenshot here and just highlighted that, again, a domestic terrorist threat, which is less predict predictable, harder to de detect and investigate, a persistent and evolving threat from Islamist terrorist groups overseas. So that's the threat that they're talking about. However, when you go into it a bit further and you look at what they say about terrorism and their definition in the contest uh, document on terrorism, they say that terrorism is the use or threat of serious violence against a person or serious damage to property, where that action is, one, designed to influence the government or an international governmental organization or to intimidate the public or a section of the public and two for the purpose of advancing a political religious racial or ideological cause but what i did notice in this document and i do want to touch on really is um, a couple more pages where they mentioned the independent review of prevent and they talk about uh uh, prescribed groups such as Hamas and Hezbollah. And I just thought it was interesting to bring that up now, especially in the times that we're living in. And our free, open and inclusive society is something to cherish and protect from ideologies which seek to destroy it. Government response to the independent review of prevent. The hypocrisy there, because our society, we are demonstrating in taking the audience through uh, the supposed counter-terrorism uh, prevent strategies, we are demonstrating that our society is not free and open and inclusive. It is the exact opposite. The words spilling out of their mouths are about this type of society, but their actions are that we are being pushed down into a, a, a spied upon, uh, watched society uh, which is a, an, an update and expansion of, of the Stasi system, where the state is so frightened of its own people that every individual must be watched and monitored and recorded. It literally is every single individual that is being monitored and, and recorded. And, you know, we've mentioned it already a couple of times, but 
they're particularly interested in looking at the what they call the ERWT, um, which stands for the extreme white uh, um, right wing. So we're looking very heavily at this transnational issue that they call it of radicalizing influence inspiration and communication unlike islamist terrorist groups extreme right-wing terrorists so erwt extreme right-wing terrorists are not typically organized into formal groups with leadership hierarchies and territorial ambitions but informal online communities which facilitate international links and then they go on to mention the fatal attacks that took place in Oslo. Um, but in they say in some countries, including countries with high numbers of UK nationals and visitors, the greatest threat from terrorism comes from ERWT. Extreme right-wing terrorist narratives are also exploited by hostile actors such as Russia, which is increasing, which is seeking to promote divisive and polarizing narratives in the West, which is likely to increase in the future. Examples of ERWT radicalizing influences were also set out in the government's response to the independent review of Prevent. And again, very briefly, just to finish on that slide, left-wing anarchist and single-issue terrorism currently represents a significantly smaller terrorist threat to the UK than Islamist terrorism or extreme right-wing terrorism. So you can see there the focus on right wing but then we go into conspiracy theories and i mean you well, know there's been a lot of those floating around haven't there let's just comment on that that they are claiming that in uk the problem of uh, extreme right wing uh, terrorism is greater than external islamic terrorism based on what the government has told us. Let's think about what the government has told us, that we should be frightened in Devon and Cornwall, this was only a couple of years ago, that there would be Islamic attacks on holiday venues in Devon. That's what the chief constable tried to tell us. And now we're being told that right-wing extremists in this country are so prevalent that they oppose an even greater attack. This is madness. It's lies. It's, it's untruth, all designed to make people frightened. And as you said, the next group they're going to go for, they are going for, is anybody they can try and call a conspiracy theorist. Yeah, well, of course, a conspiracy theory is only a conspiracy if it's not true. <laughs> if it's true, it no longer becomes a conspiracy. However... They're, they're covering their backs here and they want to include conspiracy theories. So they say that conspiracy theories can act as gateways to radicalized thinking and sometimes violence. They often make unevidenced claims about the causes of social and political events, attempting to explain them by blaming groups or powerful actors. Many conspiracy theories aren't new. They adapt old narratives to fit current circumstances and are not explicit to any one ideology. Common themes include religious, ethnic superiority, anti-Semitism, there you go, Brian, you've got your mention of anti-Semitism there, misogyny, anti-establishment, anti-LGBT grievances. Conspiracy theories can become a pathway to more extreme views and behavior, behavior again, by inducing believers to radical content or increasing sympathy to extreme ideas and engagement with political violence. 
Yeah, yeah. Political violence is an interesting expression, isn't it? Because does that mean physical violence, or does it mean verbally, um, verbally criticising uh, the existing government? If you are outspoken, repeatedly criticise your government, you you speak out, you write, uh, you talk about the problems of the government. Does that does that then become defined as political violence? Well, you'd have to ask the public about that because, of course, they can't do anything without the public's intervention. So maybe the public are the best people to ask. Not that we've been consulted on it in the first place, but, you know, why why are, are the public so key into these strategies working? So we can see that what they say is the public is a key partner in the successful delivery of contest and plays an essential role in preventing attacks and reducing loss of life in the event of an attack. The public makes approximately 120,000 reports a year in response to our well-established See It, Say It, Sorted campaign on British railways. And in 2022 to 2023, counter-terrorism policing received over 13,000 reports from the public, nearly 2,000 of which provided useful intelligence to the police. And there again, you can see the phrase prevent pursue, protect, and prepare. So there's your see it, say it, sorted reference yet again. Um, But what I did find interesting was when I went to look at prevents in the police, because I didn't realise that, I mean, I'm used to the Met and Devon and Cornwall Constabulary, but here we've got police.uk. And I'm just popping that in there just to make people aware, because I wasn't really aware of police.uk. But here it is. And talking of prevent, they say they work with a range of partners. Again, local authorities, schools, colleges, faith leaders. Now, nobody specific is mentioned there, but I'm presuming it's all faith leaders. Community groups, including women's groups and youth groups, voluntary services and health practitioners. But, you know, Police UK is different from the counter-terrorism policing department. So the counter-terrorism policing department have also got their prevent policy as well. So this is, like I say, it's completely systemic. And this comes, I've just done one more screenshot, which I'll leave for people to read at their leisure. But I just wanted to highlight that they're talking about vulnerable people again. They're talking about people that may be brought or drawn into criminal behavior. And then they talk about referring to the Home Office Channels program to be given help from a mentor. So once again, we go back to channel and the channel panel. And who is going to decide your fate? Who is going to listen? Who is on this panel? So I went to the government to have a look at the channel and prevent multi-agency panel. And this is where this mapper, as you were saying, Brian, you know, this multi-agency panel. So they're part of the prevent strategy. And of course, this is multi-agency. And if we go further into it, it's to protect people again, to keep you safe, safeguarding. This is all in our own interest to keep us safe, protect people susceptible to radicalization. Section one is prevent, section two is channel, and section three is channel panels and partners of a panel. And again, that opens up your question, Brian, to, well, who are 
on these panels. You know, you don't well, know. I wonder whether the language is beginning to drill into people. We got channels of panels of pan panels of channeling of multi-agency public protection channel arrangements. We've, we haven't got one mentioned in this group, which is FTAC, F-T-A-C, which stands for the Fixated Threat Assessment Centre. This is another monitoring group where people can be referred directly to a team of psychiatrists if somebody makes a report that is considered to indicate that a person with a mental illness is one of the people under suspicion. And there's no messing around with this group. The first people who contact you will be a mental health team. So MAPA, Fixated Threat Assessments uh, Centre, uh, the uh, panels that that local um, protection officer, prevent protection officer was talking about, this is a vast web almost a fishing net which has been cast over the public in UK and they are hauling it in and if you are the wrong size, the wrong shape fish, you are going to be hauled in for investigation. It's utterly incredible. Well, the net doesn't stop there. Um, the, the names, the acronyms, it doesn't stop there because we'll go on to another one now. When I looked at the counter-terrorism policing on what you could do, um, I discovered ACT. Now, ACT, A-C-T, stands for Action Counters Terrorism. This is if you've heard something, seen something. Um, this is the way that the public, because they need your help, they need you to be their eyes and ears on the ground, as if we haven't got enough surveillance cameras. They want you. So if you've seen something or heard something that you don't feel is right, you can contact ACT directly. And the kind of things that you're meant to be looking out for, you know, what do, what do you observe in these people? Anybody hiring a large vehicle for no obvious reason, buying or storing large amounts of chemicals, looking at extremist material, whatever that is, uh, deliveries for unusual items bought online. So be careful what you buy. Uh, firearms. OK, fair enough. Possessing firearms, holding passports or other documents in different names. Anyone who goes away traveling for long periods of time, um, you're not wasting our time and no call or click will be ignored. There's the encouragement report on your fellow men and women if you are at all suspicious. And uh, what's going to happen if you do this <laughs> or if something happens, an event happens, Debbie? Well, you're going to run, hide and tell, according to the government. So you run to a place of safety, you hide, and then when it's safe, uh, you tell the police by calling 999. But it gets it gets darker, as if we didn't even think it could get any darker. And uh, this is really coming to the end of, of this particular investigation. And I'm sure this is going to open up a whole lot more. But what do you do if you're concerned about a family member? Uh, you've got to act. You've got to act early. In fact, if you're worried about someone who's close to you is becoming radicalized. So, I mean, we're talking about pillow talk here, you know, your family, um, your loved ones. And what are you to look out for? What are the signs of radicalization? So there are many signs, they say, that can make people vulnerable. Um, and in fact, they've already said that there's no that there's no one size fits all, so nobody really knows. So they just give you a few hints and tips, and up comes the next chart, 
which will highlight that these are the signs and vulnerabilities that you should be looking for. Being influenced or controlled by a group, personal crisis, looking to blame others, an obsessive or angry desire for change or something to be done, need for identity, meaning and belonging, desire for status, need to dominate, mental health issues, and if, or if you spend an increased amount of time online and share extreme views on social media. Those are the things that your family is going to be asked to look out for. And if they see any of those signs in you or somebody else in the family, you're going to be asked to report them. Um, and just uh, a couple of quotes from people about Prevent. Uh, this is James, a Prevent officer. If your loved one didn't return home one day, it wouldn't be long before you called the police, right? Radicalization is about losing someone too. So what's different about this? And then W. Joseph, an intervention provider, says they try to create a bubble of social isolation so that no one can contradict the narrative they are telling the person. Parents, be vigilant. There is support out there. But what uh, support? <laughs> and my direct response to that is that the bubble of social isolation is being created by our own government, of course, with a propaganda machine that's pushing this at us. And many people who spend their time watching the BBC or the other mainstream media uh, take on board this fear and believe that the government the government's argument is correct. So. I'm being really cynical here. The, the the comment by these two individuals is what the government itself is doing, in my opinion. And I'm just going to draw us to a close by putting another book on screen. I haven't read this one, but I'm told it's very good. Stasi, the East German secret police. Uh, if you really want to understand where state spying on its citizens leads, you've got to understand the Stasi as uh, a recent, of course, European example of where a state can get to and how bad it is. Um, Debbie, uh, to be back with no smoke <laughs> without fire, what sort of fire are we describing here? I think it's one of the really dangerous fires because it's, it's very big, it's intensely hot, but for the average member of the public at the moment, the prevent strategy and what it really is, is not delivering a lot of smoke. So the fire's there, it's burning, but at the moment it's out of sight and people really need to wake up and see what's coming. We're going to have to end there, but I'm going to say thank you very much for joining me for another No Smoke Without Fire episode. We'll see what the response is. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> well, thank, no, thank you for allowing me to, to share this because I think, you know, when you're talking about No Smoke Without Fire, I think my message to everybody watching is don't fuel the flames, you know, don't buy into this. Don't fuel the flames of the fire because at the moment, nobody knows it's there. Now I hope people will know it's there and not fuel the flames, but we can all start putting the flames out. But it's word of mouth, so please spread spread this information and talk about it, because if we don't talk about it, we're not going to achieve anything. Fantastic, Debbie. And we're also going to say thank you very much to Stephanie, who's been our producer today, working in the background, and uh, we're on course for some more No Smoke without fire. So we'll see our audience in due course. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.